of making wise choices. This is really a class to determine how we can know what God's will is for our lives. We've all asked that question before. You know, is this something God wants me to do? Um, once we've made a decision, we ask, did I make the right choice? Am I going to be punished now for the rest of my life because I made the wrong choice and be uh, left to God's plan B, as it were? So, the first step we said to understanding God's guidance is first to understand Him. Who is this God that is guiding us? What's He like? What are His priorities and His objectives in, in trying to guide us? If we can know Him and what it is He's trying to do with us, it will be a lot easier to see how He's guiding us today. So, we have to understand God first. So, in other words, what we're trying to do is we're looking at the ends in order to determine the means. Okay, we're looking at the finished goal. What What is it that God's trying to do in all of creation? And then we'll be able to see what God's trying to do in our life because that will that will help us to see. So, before we start, let me just do a, a little bit of a um, review and maybe a, a preview as well of what we're looking at. Okay, We're looking at the big picture first. What we have here is, is week one. Does God control and have meaning for every aspect of life? We looked at Ecclesiastes and we said, yes, He does. Every molecule that has been moved has been moved because God has purposed that it would move. Every single thing that's happened, whether good or bad, has been in the plan of God since eternity past. Okay, So God is working out everything according to His purpose. Everything. So we saw that last week. This week we're going to say, see, then what is He doing with me? Okay, How does that purpose fit into my life? We see that He's in control of all things and that we'll see today that He has one final purpose that He's working towards. So how do I fit into that plan? You see, we're com- becoming more and more specific as we go down. Next week, how does God orchestrate every minute detail to accomplish His purpose? Okay, How does He... How does he get to that goal? We said that this is his goal to to we'll see that today to glorify himself. If he's trying to do that and he's in control, okay, he's he's got the guardrails on to where he's going to, how does he do it? How does he include me in his final goal of glorifying himself? And then weeks 4 and 5, so how do I participate in God's design? If he's got it all planned out, if if he's already determined what's going to happen, how do I participate? What am I supposed to be doing? That'll be weeks four and five. And then week six, show me an example. Okay, This will be a good time for us to incorporate all of what we've looked at in the first five weeks and be able to see an example from hopefully every person's life that either you've already experienced or you will experience and uh, and see how we can know God's will in uh in a case where the scriptures don't speak about it explicitly, okay, when should I retire? Uh, you know, what sort of clothes should I wear? What's modest? What's not modest? Um, those types of things. We'll give an example in week six and walk through that. Week seven, we'll pull it all together by finding joy in the center of God's will. Okay, a little stuffy in here. Anybody else? All right. Let's begin with the word of prayer, and then we'll um, 
look at our uh, study for this week. Lord, this really is a a critical question that we've all asked, and and many times when we've asked it, we've gone without answers, perhaps for weeks or years, perhaps our whole lifetime. We haven't figured out what it is that You want us to do and how we can go about doing it. And so I pray that You'd help us with these foundational truths, particularly last week that we looked at that You are in control of everything, and this week that You're working toward one final goal and help us to be able to see that that the universe does not revolve around us, but that You are at the center of everything and that all of life should revolve around You. And we pray that You'd help us to do our part in uh, cultivating a relationship with You so that we can grow and to be more like Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to lay another very key cornerstone to our study of guidance and following the voice of God. Where is it that He is seeing His plans to? What purpose do the details of life serve? I mean, are they ends in themselves? Does God give you a job just so that you can have a job? Do you, do you get married just so that you can have a spouse? Is that the end? Is that the final goal of marriage? Just so that, that you can be married? Or do they serve another purpose? Do they have a greater purpose? Does everything in life have a greater purpose? Well, today we're going to take a big step backwards from, from that original question that we were asking. That is, what is God's will for my life? Okay, that's Remember, that's very narrow. That's down here. That's later on. The funnel is, is very specific when you ask that question. What is God's will for our lives? So what we're doing is we're backing up taking a 30,000-foot view and looking over all of the world, all of what God has to say for us, and we're going to see, okay, really, the earth is not about me. My circumstances in life are not about me. Okay. Now, when we talk about God's plan, we mean His sovereign plan for the details of your life. And when, when I say God's will, I mean His moral will. Okay, That is, that you are purified, that you are sanctified. Okay, so from here on, we're going to go from a broader perspective. You see that on your sheet? First of all, God does all things to glorify Himself. That's the first thing that we're going to look at. Broad perspective. Then more narrow will be God glorifies Himself and His people. Okay, then even more specifically than that, God glorifies Himself in you as one of His people. Alright, so we need to look at that broad perspective first. God glorifies Himself. He does all things to glorify Himself. Look at Romans chapter 11, if you would, please. And we're going to look at a lot of verses. So what what I would like you to do is to be ready to turn and then also to be ready to um, volunteer to read for us. So we'll have some of you just look some up on your own and read them for the rest of the class. Romans chapter 11, verse 36. Okay. The first thing that might be tough for us as Americans, Westerners, to, to grasp is that we are not the center of the universe. In fact, the universe is not the center of all existence. All existence. It's not the center of all things. 
and the universe doesn't exist to serve us. Rather, we and the universe as a whole is designed for one purpose. And it tells us right here in this verse what it is. For from Him, that is, God created it. And through Him, that is, He sustains it. He holds it together. And then notice, and to Him are all things. They are for His purpose. We can't disagree with this fact that that God has created it. They are from Him. That He is providentially caring for His creation. They are through Him. And then this week we're we're going to see that that uh, that all things that exist are for His purposes. That God is the center of the universe, and all things exist and occur for His glory. He made you. He upholds you by His caring and loving and powerful hand, and you exist so that He would be glorified. That is, to Him, so that so that all things are to Him in the language of Romans chapter 11. So God does all things for His glory. God's one supreme motivation in all of His acts in creation and in providence, Okay, we said everything's under His control, nothing's outside of His control, otherwise it would be the universe would be left to sheer chance. Okay, It would just be utter chaos. So everything is controlled by God and all of those things are working together for His praise, for His glory. We see that the Bible teaches this. Okay, Romans chapter, sorry, Revelation chapter four, verse eleven. Can I have one person turn there for me, Eric? And then uh, Exodus nine thirteen to sixteen. We'll get a couple people ready, Jennifer. And then uh, John seventeen four, Trish. And one more, Isaiah forty eight nine through eleven. Mike, thank you. All right, so let's Isaiah forty eight. 9 through 11. All things exist for His glory. Now, look at these questions on your sheet here. First of all, why did God create? Revelation 4.11. Worthy are You, our Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You create all things because of Your will. They exist and were created. Alright, so why were these things created? The angels say, so that You would receive glory. Worthy are You, O Lord, because You have created all things, and by them they exist. What about this next question? Why did God lead His people out of bondage? Exodus 9:13 to 16 Alright, this one is a little bit harder to put your, your arms around. Okay, we can see in creation, yeah, God's doing that to glorify Himself, to show His mag- magnificence. But in evil, in an evil act, in an evil person such as Pharaoh, how can God be glorified in that? And yet, in this very passage, we have this as, as well as in Romans chapter 9, that, that God raised up Pharaoh for the very purpose so that they would worship Him. That is, the Egyptians, that all of the Israelites, 
And not only that, verse 16 says, but I have raised you up for this very purpose that I may show my power and make my name known in all the earth. Okay? How else would we have looked back at an incident like the Exodus if Pharaoh had not been raised up as a king? I mean, God could have done some ordinary acts throughout time and, and, and uh, drove Israel to the place that He wanted them to be without Pharaoh. He could have done it without Pharaoh. But how could God have shown the magnificence of His power, the greatness of His character, without someone like Pharaoh? And so God says, the very act of evil that you are performing, Pharaoh, you are doing it for my purpose. You think you're doing it to, to expand your kingdom or to make your name known, but you will see, Pharaoh, that you are going to be destroyed and it's going to bring great praise to me. And not only in the amazing thing about this story is not only in all the earth did it happen, but but we're still talking about it today. And not just believers, people outside of the church know about this incident. They know what a great God that we have because of this. And so we can even say that this is this is the, the thing that has to be this is very difficult in our minds to grasp, but we can even say that the evil acts of men are orchestrated by God so that He can bring glory to Himself. Now, the other example of that in Scripture, the other main example, is when when people led Jesus Christ to be crucified. Okay? Obviously, that was the greatest act in human history. And yet, God did it through the evil acts of men. He orchestrated Acts chapter 2, verse 23 through 24 tell us that. All right, we need to move on. So um, the next question is, why did God visit His people in the flesh? Um, let's see. Did I get ahead of myself? I was asking for John 17.4. Yeah, go ahead and read John 17.4. Okay, so this is Jesus talking. This is the prayer that He prays to, to God at the end of His ministry, and He says, "God, I have brought you the glory on, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do." So, why did God visit His people in the flesh through Jesus Christ? It was so that He could glorify Himself. Why did God elect and save people? Isaiah forty-eight nine through eleven. So why does He save His people? Is it so that He can raise up people and have them exalted? Mike read it, the last verse there. He said it twice. For my sake, yea, for my own sake, I do this, so that no one else can be exalted, but that all the glory would come to Me. I think of the story of Gideon when he had, uh, what was it, 20,000 people, 20,000 men on his side, and God says, no, that's too many. Because otherwise, if you've if you conquer them with that many people, you might think that it's it's your own uh it's it's because of yourself. But I want you to see that it's because of me that you're going to kill these people. And so he, he narrows it down, narrows it down, gets it all the way down to three hundred men. 
And at the end of the story, you find that the only thing they can do is they can look to God and praise Him. Because, hey, we're weak. I mean, Gideon was a weak leader. The size of their army was weak. It was quite a demonstration of God's power. And so that's why He saves His people in order to glorify Himself. Why will Christ return in power and glory? Revelation 19, 6 and 7. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. God's desire is that He is magnified, that He is glorified even in the uh, return of Jesus Christ. And that will be really uh, one of the great culminations in human history. I'll let you uh, read Psalm 86, 8-10 through 10 on your own time, but that's a, um, a good verse that talks about uh, God's glory. And what we see is that, that God is working okay, in all these things, creation, raising up leaders, uh, saving people, electing people to salvation, bringing Christ back in glory, all these things He's doing for one final goal so that He is glorified, both now and forevermore. Um, not for our glory, but for God's glory. And so, to understand God's will in, term of, in terms of my job, my future, my needs, my desires... It really is subtly self-centered, isn't it? Because now it's it's like, okay, God, give me your will so that it can serve me. And now God becomes the servant and we become the master. And so that type of questioning is potentially dangerous no, no matter how pious it may sound. So we can't get sidetracked with a narrow, selfish, selfish vision of ourselves. And that's why I think it's best to to follow this sort of structure, we, we, we take a big picture view. What is God doing? What is it that He's doing in this creation? And how can I be a part of it? Because I don't want to be walking through life with tunnel vision, self-absorbed, so self-absorbed that, that I'm not even considering what God is trying to do in, in me. God is working to glorify Himself. All things in life revolve around God and so we need to consider our, our lives, our, our big decisions. Every element of creation must be considered with the understanding that God is working for one purpose, to glorify Himself. Now, do you see how that type of thinking might reshape your, your thought-making process? Your decision-making process, I should say. I mean, it, it changes things, doesn't it? Instead of... of of looking down at our feet while we're walking, trying to determine where we're going. Wait a second, this path looks... What's going on with this path? Now we're looking ahead. Okay, God is trying to glorify Himself. This kind of stuff doesn't matter as much. Alright, so God is, God is working to glorify Himself. And then, more specifically, God is working to glorify Himself in His people. Any questions or comments so far? Okay. As we consider our place in God's universe, we have to consider our, our place among God's people. I mean, we're not the only ones that God is guiding. We're, we're not God's primary focus. There are lots of other people 
that are being led by God as well. So we have to look now at how God leads, how He has led His people in the past. How has He done it? What are His motives? And then what we'll see is that God is is a loving shepherd. And from the dawn of human history, God has been shaping a people to be His very own possession out of all the peoples of the earth. I mean, you think about it, no sooner that Adam and Eve plunged into their sin and the alienation from God, does God set out on this plan that He already had before creation to, to make a, a singular group of people. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we read about the first promise of salvation where God says that I will bring up a person from your seed who will crush the serpent. Okay, that, that will happen uh, when Christ finally punishes Satan. He has already, in effect, uh, made it final through His work on the cross. But, but God was working to raise up someone in history, obviously Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter 12, we read of God's initial plan to form a people through Abraham who will bless the world and bring this Savior child of Eve into the world. And then in Exodus 2, we read about God remembering these promises after many years and, and bringing Abraham's descendants into a covenant with him. In 2 Samuel 7, we read about how God's people will be given a king forever. Um, and then the climax comes when God makes a covenant with His people in Jeremiah. Now, the New Testament shows us that this new covenant and the fulfillment of all those promises culminate in one person, Jesus Christ. That God has always been working to glorify Himself by the gracious redemption of people from their sin through one person, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And He's been planning from eternity past to carry it out since the dawn of man. And so, so we see that God is working to glorify Himself. Now, we could step back and say, okay, if God is working to glorify Himself, how can He do it once sin has entered the world? I mean, look at this mess. How's He going to clean all this up? Well, what we have to understand is that God had already planned that that mess would take place and that He was going to use that mess of sin to exalt Himself even more. Because as Paul says, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And what it does is it highlights the, the grace of God. Okay, I, I often think of it in a... Okay, if you have a diamond, you want to see the beauty of a diamond, you don't put it in a white back, backdrop. You, know, you, do, you don't get to see it for its glory. What, what kind of backdrop does a, a diamond have? Black velvet, right? So then when the, the light shines on it, you get to see it for all of its facets, all of its beauty. And so when God's glory is put in front of the backdrop of sin, it is magnified even more. Okay? Obviously, we'll talk about uh, the fact that we should not sin so that grace may abound. Paul says, may that never be. But the fact that sin exists, does not, it does not subdue God's purposes. Do you see? It doesn't, it doesn't keep him from being able to do what he wanted to do. Oh, no. I was going to glorify myself and now all the sin's messing it all up. No, it actually highlights it. It makes God look better because now we get to see him for all of his grace, which we would not have seen if there were no sin. All right, so God is working to glorify himself. More specifically, he's doing it through his people by allowing his character to be known throughout 
history in His people. And then more specifically, God is working to glorify Himself in you as one of His people. Alright? And there's a few aspects that we need to see. Um, now, this means that God has big plans for Himself for Himself, and big plans for His collective people and that we, as we're trying to live our lives, should not be just think that we're like some ant and, and we're unimportant because you see God's working and He's just plowing through to get to His glory and we're un- unimportant in the whole plan. Not at all. God does still relate to us individually and as we talked about last week, He has designs for your life and He will see them through to completion because God does whatever He pleases. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. We have to We have to still see bigger picture today. We have to consider that that God is working His character into us and He's leading us so that um, when we see the destination, then we'll see how we're coming there. Now, what has God clearly revealed about His will to you? What is it that He has clearly shown to you? He has not clearly revealed to you whether it's His will for you to live in the city or to move out into the country. He hasn't clearly revealed to you whether you should uh, buy a certain type of car or, or get involved in a certain type of business proposition or a job or whatever. He hasn't clearly revealed to you those types of things. So what do you, if He hasn't done that, then what do you think He is most concerned about in your life? Do you think, and I'm going to call those things minutia, uh, not to minimize them, but I do want to minimize them in the sense that, that, uh, that in the big scheme of things, um, the most important thing that God is concerned about is your sanctification. He is concerned about making you into the image of Jesus Christ. And so last week, all those things that are happening in your life that seem out of control. Why is He doing that? Why is He allowing these things to happen? Why is He making jobs and and life so difficult? Why is this struggle of sin still here? It's because God is working to make you more like Jesus Christ. And all of those things are being done for that purpose. So let's see what the Bible has to say about God's will for you. Okay, I, I gave it away, um, but but we'll just see what what it is that God explicitly told us. What has He clearly told us about what His will is? Because we we're focusing over here on these things that are not of greatest concern to God. They are of concern, but not of greatest concern. So here's what is of greatest concern. It's what's in the Scripture. All right. So let's look. Ephesians chapter one. Let's all turn there. Ephesians chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will 
to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. Okay, you get you get your arms around this passage, and you will be able to understand much of what we're trying to uh, what we're trying to convey here. But look at verse four. You see why God chose you. Why did God choose you to salvation? Verse four: Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, why? So that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Okay, this is what God's willing is all about. Okay, this idea that God is, has willed you to do something. This is what He's working toward. He's working toward you to be under Jesus Christ. That is to say that that He wants you to be united to the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity. So this is the direction of our lives, that God is glorifying Himself by uniting you as a believer to Jesus Christ. And that union with Christ doesn't start when you die. Do you realize that? When does that begin? When does union with Christ begin? At salvation. Exactly. So why not, once we're united to Christ, why wouldn't God just take us to glory and end it? Because He's working in you to cultivate a, a closer union with Christ that will, that will last for all of eternity. Okay? So the decisions that you're making now will affect what will happen in eternity. Okay? I'm not just saying whether you're going to make it to, to heaven or not. What I'm saying is your relationship to Christ in eternity is going to be affected by what you do now. Okay, um, because everyone's not going to be at the same level uh, with regard to uh, their knowledge of God, with regard to their capacity to serve. Okay, people are going to have greater capacity based on what they did in life. Okay, but that doesn't minimize what God did to them in their life. So the thief on the cross, we could say, okay, well, why did God do that? Why didn't He give him more time so that he could cultivate a, a greater relationship? Now he's going to be stunned in eternity in some way. But no, see, he'll be looking back and say, thank you for saving me. Okay? He'll still have something to glorify God about. Mark? Mark? Uh, you're, you're talking about the idea of perseverance? Is that... Oh, in terms of other people. Yeah. I mean, we're being used as the Lord. Right. That's another good point. Exactly. Because, I mean, some people are going to be led by Christ through your example or through your gospel witness. Uh, some people are going to be uh, further engaged in the Scriptures because of you. So, yes, your, your choices affect more than just you. Right. You're a tool in the hand of God. 
And God is using you to accomplish His purpose. Okay? You can't take glory for what He did. You can't say, look what I did, because all you are is a tool. You're just sitting there in His hand. But, but you've got to be useful for Him. You got, that's why Paul says you need to be a vessel fit for the Master's use. Something that He can use. Because not only do your positive choices affect what will happen in eternity, but also your negative choices, your sin. Your sin always affects more than just you. Okay, I need to move. So um, let's move on to the next one. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Can someone read that for us? And then I'll uh, get a couple people that are going on these other ones. First Peter, I need uh, Romans 8, 14. Ken? 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Mark? Um, and then we'll. Everybody else, why don't you turn to Romans chapter 8? Romans chapter 8. All right, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Alright, so all who are led by God are the sons of God. We're told that we're already sons. This is true. And not only that, but as sons, we're led by the Spirit of God. And this is the greatest form of leading that we can experience. Um, It's what distinguishes a Christian from those who do not know God. He leads us to love holiness and desire the things of God, to desire to grow in knowledge. And that's a huge... uh, that's a huge thing with regard to our decision making. Inheritance. First uh, Peter one three through five. Okay, so we have we have an inheritance that will never fade away in eternity. It will not be lost between now and laying hold of it. So it's God's will for us by His power to ensure this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you would be being transformed into God's image. All right, sanctification and glorification. Let's all look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we'll see more about God's purpose. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. This verse... These verses speak directly to this issue of guidance. That all things are working together for your good. For God's glory. What is your greatest good? See, because when we look at these little things that happen, these things outside of our control or these struggles with sin, we look at them and we say, how can that be for my good? What we have to ask ourselves is this. What is our greatest good? What is it that God is working in us to do? He's working in you to glorify Him more by being conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ through the knowledge of God.
so God has predestined this so that it would benefit you. All the things in your life He has done for that purpose. Um, and, and we look at the very last word of verse 30. It says, He also glorified. You see that's in the past tense? You have already been glorified. Okay, Not in the sense that your body has been glorified. It still will be one day. It's still future. But it is so sure that it will happen, that you will be glorified, that, that Paul puts it in the past tense. See, it's already taken place. It, it's, it's as sure as it, if it, it has already taken place. All right, let's, um, let's skip uh, that next section, good works, and we'll have to go to the back. How does this all affect our decision-making? Okay, at the beginning I said that our wrong perceptions will lead to wrong questions. Okay, So if we have a wrong perce- perception about what it is that, that we're trying to do in life, that, you know, God, you've got to show me your will so that you can serve me. When, when we become self-absorbed in the way that we look at things, it will affect the way that we act. Okay? It will affect the way that we ask questions about God. And so if we think about God as our cosmic genie, hey, just whatever three wishes you want, what is it that you want, I'll give it to you, then we'll be led to think that, that He has to answer us and that it has to be done the way that we want it. And, and at the time that we want it. And if we think that the big decisions in life, you know, school, spouse, job, home, um, kids, retirement, if we think that those need to be made wisely because they make up the essence of our lives and they're an end in themselves, they stop there, then we'll find ourselves thinking very, very narrowly, missing the nature and the purpose of our lives and what God's doing in history. And so what we're doing really when we, when we treat God like that is we're missing uh, the forest for the trees, as it were. Our whole perception of things will be skewed. We won't even know the right questions to ask. And, that way, and because we don't know what the right questions are, the answers don't make sense. We say, God, what are you doing here? How could you possibly allow something like this which would never be something I would have chosen. We ask the wrong question and we get the wrong answer. You know what the wrong answer is going to be? Because, God, you're not in control? Wrong. Because, God, you don't really care about me? Wrong. Because you haven't provided a way for this to actually work out for my glory? Romans 8.28? Wrong. You see, it all started with the wrong question because we had the wrong perception on life. I mean, this is wisdom. This is how we ought to, to think about life from the, from the bigger perspective. Think of things as God sees them. And the only way you can do that is by finding out more about how God sees things. That's what the Word of God is for. That's why we spend so much time in it not only as a church, but also as individuals and as families. We do it because it's important for life. And when we, when we neglect that for ourselves, then we're going to change our whole perception on life. And now things, start don't, things don't necessarily make sense. Now, I'm not going to promise to you that everything in life is going to make sense. 
Okay? I, I don't know the reasons everything happened in my life. I don't know why either of my parents died. I don't know why. But I do believe that God has promised that all things have happened for His glory and for my good. And so I can accept that. That's an acceptable answer to me. I don't know the exact reason, but I know the greater reason, the big picture. And I can live with that. See, because now what I can do is I can submit myself to God and say, God, I'm not you. Okay, I wouldn't have done it that way, but I'll accept it because you did it and, and you're God. It changes our perspective. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, not that I have already obtained or have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of what Christ has taken hold of already in me. And then he says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the, for, win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in, in Christ Jesus. The pressing on into Christ here is the motive for decision making. The pressing on for Paul is the uh, the pressing on into Christ is the motive for decision making. He doesn't get distracted by by pseudo prizes, by false prizes. Oh, that looks exciting. I'll go after that. No, he's like a runner who's on a track. He doesn't care about the the wreaths that are on the sidelines. He doesn't care about the food and the and all the feasts that he could have or the the joy that he could have by pulling off on the sidelines. No, he wants that final imperishable prize that we read about. That's what I want. I don't care about all these other things. I don't care what these people are offering me on the side. I'm going to press on. So, as we think about our divine, the the guidance that God is doing in our lives and the decision-making that we need to do, we need to think like the divine guider. Our decisions are not ends in themselves. They serve a much greater end. The providence of God is the tool that God is using for these glorious redemptive ends. Okay, that's what we talked about last week. So, we need to make it uh we need to make God's priorities our priorities. So, we need to think about career, church, school, where to live, all of that through the lens of what God is doing in us. He's making us to be like Jesus Christ. How will this or that decision glorify God? How is it going to help us? How will it help to to accomplish God's purpose, that is? How will this help to serve God's people? How will this decision add to my sanctification? These are the right kind of questions. And then when we start thinking about them, we won't be fretting so much about missing God's will because we recognize that all those things God is using to accomplish His will 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, we know our destination. Okay? We're, we're, we're becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's what God's working in us. We know our pilot, that God is, is the one. Okay, I said earlier as guidelines. He's the one that's setting up the barriers and deciding what it is that happens and what doesn't happen. But how does He do that? How is it that He's taking all these providential means to accomplish this purpose to make us more like Jesus Christ? How does He do that? We'll find out next week. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about next week. Any questions or comments? All right, let me pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank You for Your grace in our lives.
we are amazed at, at how you work every circumstance out for your purposes, for your glory. And we admit that we need your help in this area because we often look at life very short-sightedly. And we look at our circumstances as if we are the only ones that matter. And what we have to recognize is that we need to see, see things from your perspective because your ways are not our ways. Just as your ways are, just as the heavens are high above the earth, so your ways are not our ways. And we pray that you would help us to see things rightly as we uh, reflect the mirror of the Word of God, look at our sin in light of it, and respond to it in a way that would please you and exalt our Savior. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.